Thanks, Charles. Thanks, worship team, for leading us. Don't we appreciate them? Yeah. Well, it's so good to be with you. So good to be with those that are going to be joining us online and, and perhaps even checking in throughout the week. Uh, but we are so grateful to get to lean into the truth of God's Word together uh, this morning. I was thinking, uh, I grew up in Michigan, and uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, as a preteen and teen was to play some ice hockey. Now, um, this was not your corporate-sponsored travel league with all the high-end equipment, traveling to city to city, spending a lot of money. This is what we called pond puck, okay? This was, uh, there was no Zamboni except for us. Like, it was, it was uh, go out on the pond behind a friend's house and we shoveled off the snow and cleared a space. And, uh, I mean, we didn't have any of the right equipment. I mean, the only hockey equipment we had were our skates and our sticks. Nothing else, right? I can literally remember taking newspapers and uh, tucking them into my socks as shin guards. I remember putting on my Tony Hawk knee pads for skateboarding to wear to play ice hockey to try to protect myself, right? And, and uh, there's something about it that... that I think that's part of the reason why I loved the movie, The Mighty Ducks. Anybody remember The Mighty Ducks? I'm dating myself here right now. All the young people in the room are like, what is that? Okay, but it's Disney. Okay, get on your Disney, you know, Disney Plus and, and, and look it up. The storyline is uh, this, this, this guy who's an attorney, his name's uh, Gordon, and uh, this is played by Emilio Estevez. He uh, gets pulled over, gets in trouble with the law, is sentenced to 500 hours of community service. And so they put him in charge of this complete misfit loser hockey team that would become known as the Mighty Ducks. And I mean, they were a hodgepodge group. You can see them. I mean, the, that's like Todd Nielsen circa 1987, right there almost. I mean, just who knows what they're wearing, baseball gear, a little bit of everything. And he's given this task to coach this team. And I mean, they had finished last, 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 last season after season after season after season. I mean, they just stunk. But the Mighty Ducks made an incredible comeback. And under the leadership of their team, and they just... They had heart, and, and, and they gave it their all, and they end up winning championship. Everybody loves a great comeback story, don't they? And, the, and I think what I, what I love about the, the storyline of the Mighty Ducks, it's kind of like the, the people that everybody else gave up on, thought they don't have a chance, overlooked, they were used in a powerful way, and they did something just fantastic and extraordinary. You know, that's really the storyline of the church in history. We've been walking chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, which is a record of the early church, the movement of those that place their faith and hope in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And God, along the way, it's like he handpicks some of the most overlooked and un expected characters to be a part of his family and to do extraordinary things in this world, much like the Mighty Ducks. 
We're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your smartphone, or we'll put the verses on the screen as well for you. And we jump into the story in Acts chapter 16, and it's Paul, and he's now had Silas and and also Timothy join him, and Luke is recording all of this, and they're about to set out on Paul's second missionary journey to go and spread the good news about Jesus to other people that had not yet heard. And it says, we boarded a boat at Troas and we sailed across the island of Samothrace and the next day we landed at Neapolis. It says, from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony and we stayed there for several days. So they, they, they kind of land and end up in this little town called Philippi. Uh, Philippi would become a very significant influence for the good news of Jesus, probably because of Paul and Timothy and Silas's influence when they first landed there and started to share Jesus with the people. In fact, one of the letters that's included in our New Testament is a letter that Paul would write back to the church at Philippi. We know it as the book of Philippians. And just to see how significant this church had become to Paul, I want us to look at his opening words of his letter to them in Philippians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. He says, Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. And then he says this, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And Paul was the first one to share it there. And he had seen people come to faith and people then begin to live out their faith and then people begin to share their faith. And the church at Philippi was an influence. But it was made up of some very unlikely individuals. And as we dive further into Acts chapter 16, we're going to be introduced to three of the first believers in Philippi that became part of that church. The first one is a a woman by the name of Lydia. Now, Lydia actually was a a well-known and probably well-respected and probably a wealthy woman. Here's the text. It says, On the Sabbath day... We went a little way outside of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Chances are Philippi may have not even had a synagogue where people were gathering on the Sabbath. There were just people that kind of congregated to worship God and and to pray together. And Paul must have been let in on where they oftentimes would gather. And so they decided on on the Sabbath to go to this spot where they knew there would be some God worshipers gathering. It says, and we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. And it says, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira. And it says, she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Now, we read that and it doesn't mean a lot necessarily to us, but in that day, uh, this would have been really significant. A purple cloth was hard to come by. It was very expensive. And the fact that she's a merchant, one that has it and is able to sell it. And let me tell you, the only people that bought it were the wealthy because when people were dressed in purple, there was a great 
It was like you admired them. There was great respect. You knew that they were well-to-do. I mean, people noticed. And that's who Lydia was. And she was probably very well-to-do, influential, seemingly having it all. And yet there was something missing in her life. Now, we learn something more about her as we read on in the text. Not only was she a merchant of expensive purple cloth, but the text says she was also one who worshipped God. She had gathered there along the riverbank to pray and to worship. And what we know about Lydia is that probably she was not a follower of Jesus at this point. When it says she was a worshiper of God, what it most likely meant is that she was a Gentile who chose to worship the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I guess you could say she believed in God, but she didn't have a real relationship with God through God's own son, Jesus. And isn't that true for so many people today? Many people in your workplace, uh, in your neighborhood, at your school would say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But the question is not, do you believe in God? The question is, do you have a relationship with God's own son that gave his life for you and his name is Jesus? Well, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were there to share Jesus, to let the people that worship God know that God had sent his son and that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. And so Paul and Timothy, they're sharing their faith. And it says, as she listened, as Lydia listened, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. I think this is so significant because it says, as she listened, just like you're doing here, just like those of you online right now, you're listening. We're, we're listening for God's words to us. And when, when, when we're open, when we're not closed off, when we're willing to hear, when we're willing to, to lean in and listen, it is an opportunity for God to work. And to do something that only God can do. And that is open a person's heart. Make them realize who they really are. Our desperate need for forgiveness and hope and purpose. And in that moment, as Lydia, this woman that seemed to have it all, she gained something that she could never possibly buy a living relationship with Jesus as her Savior and as her Lord. She accepted what Paul had said. And the text goes on, and she and her whole household were baptized. They, they identified publicly with their newfound faith in Jesus. And it says, and she asked us, that is, she asked Luke and, and, and Paul and Silas and Timothy and whoever else was there with them to be her guest. In fact, the text goes on to say she insisted, she I mean, she just begged them and urged them to come and stay at her home. And chances are, this was significant because as soon as she believes, she begins to serve, which I think is the mark of a disciple. And she, she opens up her home. She shows hospitality. She shows love and acceptance. 
And Lydia becomes perhaps the very first member of the church at Philippi. Now that leads us to our next character that we're going to come across in the text. And this girl is, has a completely other kind of story than Lydia. Lydia, while she was wealthy and influential and admired, the next person is a simple slave girl. Here's the text. It says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl. A slave girl, it says, who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She was a fortune teller. And the spirit that that is being spoken of here, it's not God's spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's an evil spirit that is oppressing her, but giving her an ability. And so in a sense, She's a slave in two ways. She's a slave to this spiritual force, but then the text says she's a slave to her slave master, for she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Can you imagine the plight of this young slave girl, oppressed, but given this ability, but then used for that ability to make money for her masters. She's a slave. And this is who Paul and Timothy and his team come upon. In verse 17, it says, And she followed Paul and the rest of us, but she was shouting the whole time, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've, they've come to tell you how to be saved. And man, at first I think, hey, this is good advertising. Like, she's getting the word out there. But that's not really what she was doing. That wasn't her intention. She was just trying to be a distraction. And whoever Paul and Timothy and Silas were preaching to, she was trying to give them the heads up. And hey, these guys got an ulterior motive. And she was just shouting over the top of them all the while when they're trying to share Jesus with people. And it says that this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned And said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the text says, and it instantly left her. Now, I love the part of the text where it says Paul got so exasperated. Like, you ever been there? (laughs) Like, okay, I'm done. Like, fuse is short. Like, I'm about to let it go. But Paul was... Paul had a holy exasperation. He wanted people to hear about Jesus. And this this woman, she was just being a distraction and getting in the way. And so this this demonic oppression that was giving her these abilities and, and that was shouting out about salvation and Jesus, it says that Paul looked right at her and then he called out the demon inside of her. And immediately it left her. Can you imagine for this young slave girl the relief, the newfound freedom? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And that was this slave girl. And she would become the second member of the church at Philippi. What an unlikely mixture of people that God was putting together to create this little church. It says that her master's hopes of wealth, they were now shattered. 
Well, because they couldn't make any money from her. She wasn't going to go on telling fortunes and being led by some, some oppressive spirit. She was going to follow the spirit of God in her life now. And it says, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And that brings us to the third character that becomes a member of the church at Philippi. We'll call him the jailer. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials, they ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. And there he is, the jailer. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. And so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. So this jailer comes onto the scene, and, and the picture here, he, he's the one in charge. He's the one in, to... to, to clamp their feet and keep them bound and await their penalty. Well, we read on in the story and something miraculous happens. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I'm thinking, what? Like, if it's me, I'm just whining and complaining and where's God now? And, and why would he let this happen to me? But their faith had become such an integral part of their life. And even in a dungeon, they're declaring God's goodness. They're, they're singing and they're praising. And it says other prisoners were even listening in. It says suddenly there was this massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Which says that when Jesus wants to free one person, sometimes other people get blessed in the process. And it says in verse 27, the jailer, he woke up to see that the prison doors, they were wide open. And he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. And so it says, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now you say, why would he do such a thing? Well, because he was a Roman authority. He was a Roman jailer. And they were brutal. And those above him were brutal. And if you were serving in the Roman army and you didn't do your job or you didn't do your job right, it could mean your life. And this jailer, he knew that and he wakes up from his sleep and like the doors are open and he's thinking, I am dead. All the prisoners have escaped. And he comes to the end of himself and he's like, I might as well just take my life. He's suicidal. He doesn't want to live anymore because he doesn't want to die by his Roman overseers. But just then it says, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The, the chains had come off, the doors had been opened, but Paul and his team, they didn't leave. They were just there. And it says the jailer, he called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He's fearing for his life. He's fearing now the power of God that must be at work on behalf of Paul and Silas. And verse 30, it says, The man brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's like, what do I got to do to get what you have? 
And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's all. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You'll be rescued along with everyone in your household. And it says, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And what is the result? It says, and even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. You guys, this is the life change that happens when Jesus gets a hold of a person's life. The one that bound them and put the clamps around their feet to imprison them and jail them is now caring for the very wounds that had been given them. As soon as he's saved, he begins to serve. Just like Lydia, who as soon as she received Jesus, she opens up her home and offers hospitality. And the same thing happens here. It says he he washed their wounds, and then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. They identified publicly with Jesus through the act of baptism, saying, we believe, we're part of Jesus' family now. And verse 34 says, and he brought them into into his house. That is, he brought Paul and Silas to his home, and he set a meal before them, and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And so, the church at Philippi was born with a a mismatch of characters, a wealthy cloth-selling lady of influence, a a fortune-telling slave girl, a Roman jailer, because God's in the business of changing people's lives. So what can we learn from these real life change stories. The two things that stick out to me are grace and unity. Grace and unity. The the woman, Lydia, who seemingly had everything, she was missing the most important thing. And by God's grace... He reached out to the wealthy because guess what? The wealthy and the poor alike desperately need Jesus. And by grace, he helped her see that there was something that was missing in her life. And it changed everything. And she starts to then use her influence and her wealth. She probably was a a main supporter of the early church at Philippi that would become so influential by God's grace. And, and the slave girl, I mean, man, she's bound for life. And a slave not to just demonic oppression, but a slave to her slave owners being used. And she's, by God's grace, freed. Freed from all that. And the jailer, who, who was the person in charge of keeping people imprisoned, realized he, he himself was imprisoned. By his own sin. And yet he's released, freed, just like Paul and Silas are. That's God's grace. And, and, and I mean, who would have put these three individuals and their families together to make a church? Well, that's unity. Because they, they had all experienced the power of Jesus in their life. And that's what they had in common, and that's the most important thing. 
It's what, it's what holds us together. It's what held them together. It's what made them, like the mighty ducks, <laughs> a misfit, but a major force to be reckoned with. Grace and unity. And I love what Paul, you know, how he started the letter to the Philippians. I thank my God every time I think of you and I pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I love some other words that he said to the Philippians in his letter. I want us to think as I read this what these words would have been speaking to Lydia and what these words would have meant to that slave girl and what these words would have meant to that jailer and what these words mean to every single one of us. Paul said, and I am certain, that is, I am confident, like I can bank on this. He said, I'm certain that God, that God who began the good work within you. And Paul was there when that work began, when they first believed. The God who began this good work within you, he will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul was saying, I know God has changed your life, Lydia. I know God has changed your life, you slave girl. I know God has changed your life, you Roman jailer. And he's not finished with you. And he's not finished with us. The story of Ruth Graham Bell, wife of the Billy Graham. And uh, she was driving down the road and she saw a sign that said, Construction finished. Thank you for your patience. And she is quoted as having said, I'd like that to be written on my gravestone. Construction's finished. God's work on me is never done until we see him face to face. And God's work in and through the Philippian church and God's work in and through your life and my life, it is not done. We may not have all the right equipment. We may not have a corporate sponsor. But like the mighty ducks, we've got, a, we've got a coach that cares. And if we lean into him and give him everything that we are, he can do some pretty incredible things. Chapel, the, the best days are yet to come. He's going to use us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for Jesus who unifies us God, thank you for using misfits and overlooked, the wealthy and the poor, the influential and the nobody, for we are them. And God, I pray that you would help us to look at others with your eyes, seeing not who we are, but who we can become in and through your power. God, help us to continue to follow hard after you. We love you and we commit ourselves again to you because you are the God of grace, the God of unity, the God of all love, the God of truth. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday.